This is the fourth and final part of a series that we've been doing. And I've been talking about being connected with God and being filled with him. And this part is the final part of putting in practice what it looks like in your life. So I'm going to be very practical today. As I was studying and researching and studying the scriptures to to bring the message today, I realized that actually the question I was trying to answer today was the big question of Christianity, like of living the Christian life. It wasn't just, it was everything. And so what I'm trying to do today is to summarize everything about the Christian life in two very short sentences. So that's the goal today. So my outline is I'm going to summarize what I've been doing up till now particularly the, the, the last two weeks, then I'm going to give you two key ideas in the form of two t-shirts, and then I'm going to talk about some fun playing around with metaphors for these ideas. So, what is the, the summary then of the ideas I've been covering in the last few weeks? In the, in the scriptures... There are a number of verses which suggest that as a Christian, we actually become filled with God, filled with the divine, that actually some of God comes into us. And this is an idea which was very widely taught in the, in the early church by the church fathers. But then people started taking this too far and began to say, well, we actually become God. And here's a, an, an image from those times from the, uh, this is from the Eastern Orthodox Church, who taught that you could actually get to become a god by climbing this ladder that they talked about, the ladder of divine ascent, where you go from human to being god. And because people were concerned about overplaying these ideas, they, uh, they began to shy away from even the whole, even the scriptures that are talking about partaking in the divine. But nevertheless, Jesus said there was some sort of an exchange that came place, take, took place. He became human that we would be able to have something of what he had. He died on the cross so that we could sit with him on the throne. And an example passage would be in John 17, verses 21 to 23. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, he's not talking there that we are going to become part of the Trinity, part of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But nevertheless, he's saying something. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. So, Jesus, and there are a lot of other verses we looked at, which have got the same kind of teaching, that we partake in the divine. And I want to sum this up with a quote from uh, Karl Moser, which I gave the last couple of weeks. We will always remain creatures. 
We never lose the fact that we're created beings. We'll always remain creatures, but we are destined to become creatures so filled with God that his very glory radiates from us. So filled with God that his very glory radiates from us. This is a, um, a teaching that was around very early on in Christianity and people have shied away from it. So I want to say our fear of overstating this must not make us shy away from talking about the extraordinary destiny that God has for us. That we will be filled with the divine and as his children show many of his characteristics. In 1 John he says, God is love and if we are born of God we will love. That's the, the language of DNA, of inheritance. You know, you have something with your parents and so you show it. If God is love, if we're born of God, we will love. As his children, we show many of his characteristics. So uh, last week I talked about three ways in which this plays out in the Christian life. And we had Jane up here and we, did, we had three images and uh, I challenge you to remember what those three images were during this week. Can you remember what the three images were and what they meant? Battery. The, the battery wasn't part of what we did as, as the three. But you were, what was it you went to see? The drills. So what, would, so what about the drill? She, was having, she held a power drill. And what was the power drill about? What was, what, what, tell me, describe the power drill to me. What kind of power drill? It was plugged in, didn't it? It had to have a cord because the, the, the power drill, there's another power drill we'd had which wasn't what she was holding, which was, uh, which was a, 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 a portable one, which had its own pack. And the point was that we cannot do anything unless we're connected to the supply line. And Jesus is the supply line that enables us to do the work. And so that was the first image we had. Can you give me another image that we had? Okay, let someone else do mine. Then you can remember them all. So someone who didn't hear what he said. Uh, the seat. We had, tell me about the seat. What did we have? Right, so we had two chairs up here. We didn't actually have Jesus sitting in the other one, but that was the image. We're seated with him on his throne. It was supposed to represent the throne, which means that we actually are ruling with him, and we, in our prayers, can have power, can exert power. And our destiny, even now, is we're ruling. And we can bring things into play with our prayers. Our prayers can change things. Our prayers can change this world, because that's we are ruling in that. And that, what was the last image that we had? Somebody that's not said anything? The last image. The lamp. The lamp, we had a, a light shining, a powerful light illuminating her, and Jane was glowing. And what was that demonstrating? The glory, that's right, that will shine with his glory. So the three things last week, we, it's only by being connected to, to, to Jesus that we can, we can do this. The second one was that we're ruling with him, and the third one is we actually carry his glory in us. And, and what that means in practice, it, uh, as you know, you said them, I can put them up. Hmm. Um, what that means in practice is that people can see a difference in us. They can see something of God in us. So that's a summary of last week, what it means to live God-filled. It means to work with his strength, to share his throne, 
and to glow with his glory. And then, uh, what we're going to do then, this week, we've summarized the last two weeks. I'm going to give you these two ideas, and then we're going to have some fun playing with metaphors for these ideas. So, as I was thinking this through, I, I came up with two ideas, and my volunteers need to get ready now and put their T-shirts on. Uh, so I came up with two ideas, and I thought these ideas look like you could put T-shirts with them on. You could put them as T-shirt slogans. Well, I, didn't, I couldn't like, have special T-shirts made for today, but I've kind of done the next best thing. So could my two volunteers come up, please, and uh, just stand here with me so you can see them. Uh, all right, so here they are. Uh, your choices change you is my first slogan. And if you can't see them there, it's up on there. And the second one is your choices come out of what you believe is true. So those are going to be the two foundational statements for the rest of my message today. Your choices change you. Your choices come out of what you believe is true. So there's not been much for these two to do and they can go and sit down. But give them a round of applause anyway. <laughs> okay. And it's, it's Miriam and Luke, by the way, if you want to say hello to them. They're friends of Ruth and Sachet. They're visiting from England. Um, so, let's start off then by looking at the first one, your choices change you. And I want to argue that this is a fundamental way in which what I've been talking about for the last three weeks works out in our life. And I'm going to base my teaching today on John chapter 14 and 15, starting with the last verse in 14 and then going through to 15. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So this is the God-filled type of language he's using. And then he goes on to uh, a metaphor. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So this raises the question, how do we abide in him? What does this actually mean? I mean, I can understand if it's an actual physical vine, then the branch actually has to be connected to the vine. That makes sense. But what does it mean to tell me, if Jesus tells me to abide in him? What's that mean in practice? Well, he goes on. Um, I am the vine, uh, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Okay, so a little bit more of a description now. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. But he says he hasn't told us what to do to abide in him. But then he goes on, verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So that's a bit more specific. And then, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Okay, so it seems like he's saying we abide in him by keeping his commandments. 
Now, there's a little bit of a problem here because if bearing fruit is actually looks like doing Jesus' will and living like Jesus, isn't that following his commands? It's almost like if you follow my commands, then you'll be able to follow my commands. It like, seems like it's a circular argument. It seems like, like a chicken and egg situation that you abide in Jesus by keeping his commands, but you can't keep his commands unless you're abiding in him. That's what it seems to be. Um, but let's read a little further. Um, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So I want to argue that actually it's not circular. It's not like chicken and egg. What Jesus is saying this in this is, as you start showing my love, as you start stepping out in showing my love, then you will get my love flowing into you. I will fill you with more love. So as you walk in faith, stepping out, doing the things I've commanded you to, then you will then the the energy will flow into you. And this makes perfect sense because this fits in with all of the rest of the teaching that Jesus has and others have about the Christian life. And so I want to just put this onto a slide. This is your choices change you. So I want to say it's a constant choice. I want to say that choosing makes it stronger. That it's not simply practice, but positioning ourselves to receive the spirit. And not choosing it makes it die. So what is it here? It is, in this passage, it is love. And then, of course, the other things flowing from love and uh, obedience to Jesus. But primarily what he's saying is you're choosing to live out of this new identity. You now are a new person in Christ. But as you choose to live out of it, the choice will unlock a flow and this flow will flow into you. Now, this is exactly what happens when someone first becomes a Christian. They make a choice to follow Jesus, and that choice opens up a channel of God's power into their lives. And so if you're not a Christian this morning, that is how you begin. You begin with a choice. You begin by to move to, from death to life by asking Jesus to give you this life. And that's not just asking, but it's stepping out in this choice. And then suddenly, as you do that, it opens a doorway and the spirit flows into you and you're born again. Uh, Paul says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's talking about the spirit and he starts off by commanding them to be filled with the spirit. He said, be continually filled with the spirit. And then he says that what this looks like is submitting to one another, one another in love as Christ did, loving one another, and do this, he says, and you'll get more of the Spirit. So it's the same kind of circle. You're, you're to be filled with the Spirit. You're to do it by stepping out in love in, in the community. And as you do that, you'll receive more of the Spirit. And so... It might look like a circle to start with, but it's not a circle. It's something that's, that, that you kind of, you're growing, you're climbing, and as you do one, you get more of the other. 
So your choices change you, and as you're changed, you make more of the same choice. So what I'm trying to do this morning is to pull all of New Testament teaching on the Christian life into two t-shirt slogans. So bear with me if it's not perfect. That's what we're trying to do. Uh, What's our response to this? I'd like us to make a response right now. I'd like us to, uh, this is what, how we should respond. I so need Jesus flowing into me through the Spirit that I'll follow him with all my strength so as to get more of his strength and presence. Does that, that's, I'm trying to put it all into one sentence there. This is how I want you to respond. What I'd like to do now is I'd like you, if you choose to, to say this out loud together with me, and we're going to say this as a prayer to God, and it's up to you whether you don't have to, but if you want to say this with me, I'd like us to do this verbal response to what God is calling us into right now. So let's start. I so need Jesus flowing into me through the Spirit that I'll follow him with all my strength so as to get more of his strength and presence. So this is the choice, and if you read that, if you said that, you're making a first step on a choice because you are asking Jesus to begin this process. But of course, it's not just the words, it's the actions. And as the choices lead to actions, it changes you. It leads you into something different. So I've got a story I'm going to tell you now about uh, uh, an example of someone that this happened to. I don't know if any of you heard of a woman called Amy Carmichael. Uh, Amy Carmichael did an amazing work in India in the 1800s, an extraordinary work that she did. Um, But it all began when she lived in Northern Ireland. And she, as a young girl, went to a very, very formal Presbyterian church. And it was very stiff and formal, and, you know, everybody dressed up, and it was, you all had to, you know, behave in a very somber way. So one day she came out of church and everybody was neatly filing out of church. And she saw this poor woman, a poor old woman, um, and it was a windy, rainy day. And this poor woman was, could, could hardly walk against the wind. And she had shopping bags and she could hardly walk against the wind. And everybody was ignoring her. All of these <clears throat> Christians coming out of church were ignoring her. And she said to her brother, her older brothers, We've got to help that lady. And she, she and her brother, she persuaded her brothers to go over. And um, in front of all these shocked people coming out of church, she helped this lady and they carried her bags and she got this lady to where she wanted to go. Well, you might be surprised that, you know, that would be a choice that had to be made, but it was a big choice for her. But that choice changed her. And she would say in her, her autobiography that that was something that was like a key point in her life because it began her life in a point where she was willing to disregard what other people thought of her for the sake of following Jesus. And that led to one choice, which led to another choice, which led to another choice, which led to incredible fruit in her life because she'd made that choice, and it was a choice that changed her. So is this making sense to you today? It's making sense? Okay. So now we're going to move on to the second T-shirt slogan, and rather than getting... Um, Miriam out, we're going to just put it up on here. Uh, Your choices come out of what you believe is true. Your choices come out of what you believe is true. Um, 
Now, in the scriptures, believing who you are and will be seems to be a very important idea. Now, I'm going to suggest that humans always act in what they believe is their best interests. Is that true? Do humans always act? Well, that's kind of true and not true. I'm going to say it's true in the way I'm going to define it. That to some extent, our, our, our actions follow our belief. Now, supposing I was to shout to you, this building's about to explode. You've got to get outside right away. You'd probably look at me and think, is Andrew joking? Like, is this another sermon thing? Or, oh. And some of you might get outside if you thought I was being serious. You may or may not. Now, if Kingsley was to come in um, dressed in his, his Superman outfit or his Spider-Man outfit and came rushing up to the front and say, Hey guys, this building's about to explode. You've got to get out there right away. I don't think any of you are going to move. Uh, however, if a great big fireman came in with his full breathing equipment and, and, and gear and everything and came in with his, you know, with his radio and everything and came in and said, Everybody, you've got to move out of this building right away. It's about to explode. I think we would all get out of the building very quickly. And so it, I'm telling you that story because it's your beliefs which are controlling what you behave, how you behave, and the, your, your choices are flowing out of that belief. So I'm going to just give us some scriptures to support that to start with, and then we're going to look at uh, how this works out. Um, so first of all, Colossians 1, 9 and 10, be filled with the knowledge of his will, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So I've underlined so as to, because he's connected those two together, uh, he seems to suggest here that if we, we have a knowledge of God's will, that actually will cause us to, to behave in a particular way. Um, he seems to think that if we believe it's true, it will actually work out. Well, in many cases, this is true. So, for example, um, if you really believe that your future... You, your, your best future lies in, say, going to University of Toronto and funding is available and everything is possible for you to do it and you're convinced that that's the best thing to do, you'll probably do it. Um, so if you're convinced um, that the, you, you know, the, your, your boyfriend or girlfriend that you're dating is the right one for you and you're completely convinced that, you'll probably work on the relationship and you know, develop the relationship because... We work out of what we think is right. So the question then is, why do we sometimes do bad things even though we know that they'll harm us? Why do we sometimes eat things that we know are not good for us? Is there anybody here that ever eats anything that they know is not good for them? So why do we do that? Uh, uh, what is that? Well, I'm going to suggest that it's because we actually we do things that are going to bring us the most pleasure. Not because it's going to, maybe even in the short term. And we know that that chocolate we put in our mouth is just going to, my, my, um, my daughter in England sent me some, some lint chocolates. They're mint lint chocolates. And you put them in your mouth and the whole thing explodes into pleasure in your mouth and down your throat. And the thing is that as you're holding it, you know it's going to happen. Like you know that within seconds you're going to get this pleasure. And it's very, very difficult just to have one or two of them, I'll tell you, because there's a box of them. 
So what is that about? It's because you believe. It's still you're acting out of your beliefs. You're not believing long-term, but you're believing short-term, and it's about what you believe is true. And uh, uh, sometimes we living out of some short-term things. So in Colossians chapter 3, it says, You've put off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So our new life is hidden in Jesus, he's saying. We've got a new life. And one day, this new life will appear with God in glory. So don't waste your old life. You've got this new life which is coming, which is coming in power. Um, Let me just read another verse here. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend, to understand. And then he he goes on, what is it you comprehend? Um, But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To put on the new self created after the likeness of God. So it's the same argument that's going on here. Um, it's about making, uh, understanding something, comprehending it, and that changing your life. And that causing you to live a different life. So I want to argue that even though we may consistently not live out of what's our long-term good, nevertheless, it tends to be what we believe, even what we believe about the chocolate, will control our actions. And uh, I'll just give you a couple of examples of that from my life. Um, when I was a when I was a teenager, I was about seventeen. I wasn't a Christian. I, I went to church. I heard the gospel. I wasn't a Christian. My my life was filled with all kinds of fun things that I would do, um, uh, and uh, just enjoying life. Um, but I and I, I I believed that God existed. I believed the Bible was true. But I I wasn't following God, and I was I would pray. And from time to time, I would read the Bible. And one time, I, I was decided I would pray to God. And as I was praying, a picture came into my mind. And the picture was this. It was a road. And it was a straight road. And it was just going away into the horizon. And the road, you know, with a parallax, it was getting smaller right to a point in the, in the end. And there was a dotted line down the middle. And this was time that was going forward. And in, and in this picture, there was a line across the road, just a few feet in front of me, and the line represented the end of this life. And I realized that this life was so short compared with eternity. You know, eternity would go on for billions of years, and this life would finish, you know, 70 years. And there it was, there was this line. And what struck me was, How stupid it is to do things that are are just for the benefit of these next few years and are going to have a negative impact on eternity. Really, the only thing that makes sense, the only thing that that really is would be wise to do is to spend all my time here preparing for what's going to be for eternity. And this so grabbed my attention. It was like a new dawning on me. I thought, well... The only thing that's important is whether I'm right with God. I know I'm going to have to meet him one day. I believe that. I know I'm going to have to meet with him. I need to make sure I'm right with him. And from that moment on, I didn't rest until I knew that God was my savior and that I was a Christian. So 
that was something that happened um, in 1999, just before the millennium. I was, I was a leader in a church, and I was asked to preach the sermon that would be the first sermon of the millennium, 2000, January, whatever it was. And uh, so I was thinking, what is it? What am I going to preach on? What, what, what's this topic that's so big that... Um, that's so important that it's worth, you know, preaching the sermon of the millennium. So I started, I, I was praying about this and, and reading the scriptures and saying, God, please show me something that's so important, it's worthy of this moment. And God led me into studying the scriptures on loving one another in the Bible. And as I studied those, I thought, how come I've never realized before how key this is in the New Testament and how like on the day of judgment, the reason that God separates the sheep from the goats is on the basis of whether they've loved one another and how central this is and this profoundly affected me and the truth of this, as I saw this as the truth, it changed me and I became convinced and then it changed me ever since as being a fundamental part of what I believe um, as I chose to preach the sermon on that topic. So those two illustrations from my life about how I'm seeing something is true and believing it's true and that leading to choices which has changed me for the rest of my life. And so uh, just as I summarise the first t-shirt response, uh, I would like to summarise a response for the second t-shirt. So the first t-shirt was, I so need Jesus flowing into me through the spirit that I'll follow him with all my strength so as to get more of his strength and presence. The second one, I'm so convinced of the truth of my new reality that I'll encourage the new me to walk, or, to walk over the old me. What do I mean by that? Well, the new, the, my new reality is my new identity, my destiny, who I'm called to be in God. Um, the new me is who I am, who I, who I believe to be. Somebody who has connected to the power, as I said last week, the power of God, who's sitting, ruling on his throne, who has his glory. This is the new me. And this is true. And if I really believe this is true, then I will make these choices and I want to live out of the new me and I say walk over the old me. In other words, I will actually leave behind the old choices, leave behind the old one and live out of the new one. So um, do you want to read that together? Okay, let's do that. I am so convinced of the truth of my new reality, my new identity and destiny, that I'll encourage the new me to walk over the old me. So what I've done so far is I've summarized what we've been doing in previous weeks. I've given you these two ideas, and now I want to have some fun playing around with some metaphors for these ideas. And there are a number of metaphors, and most of these I'm taking from the scriptures. Some of them are not from the scriptures. Um, this one is not from the scriptures. Feed the good dog, starve the bad dog. So this is a story people people have for the Christian life. There's two dogs in you. There's the good dog and the bad dog. And every time you do something that's following Jesus, you're feeding the good dog and you're starving the bad dog. And the goal is to have the good dog really strong and the bad dog is starved. Um, so in what way is that a good metaphor and what way is it not a good metaphor? Can you tell me? It's not in the scriptures, so you can criticize it as much as you want to. You're not criticizing the Apostle Paul. 
how, what's good about that and what isn't good about that is a way of describing what I've been doing. Two dogs inside you, the good dog and the bad dog, but every time you do something that's following Jesus, you're feeding the good dog. Yeah? Danfi. Okay. Okay. So in some ways the bad dog, but then you could say it's bad habits that linger on. But you're right. I mean, it doesn't, it pictures it as just as, as equal to the good dog. You know, there's equal strength, whereas actually they're not equal strength. Yeah. Yes. Well, it depends how you define the bad dog. Uh, you still have a struggle if you're, if you're a, a Christian. You still have issues in your life. You can overcome it. So what I would say um, in, in critiquing this as a metaphor, I'd say that it actually gives, you know, who are you? There's three of you there. There's you, the good dog, and the bad dog. And you have to make a decision. And it kind of gets a bit overcomplicated. Uh, what I think is good about it is the basic idea that emphasizing the first T-shirt, our choices change us. And the idea that you're making choices which are going to have a cumulative value. And as you make the choices to do that, you'll live in that particular way. Okay. Here's a choice from the Apostle, one from the Apostle Paul. Paul talks about putting off the old life which we get from Adam and putting on the new life, like putting on clothes which we get from Jesus. So what does, I'm not going to ask you if Paul did well or badly with that. I'm going to ask you what it helps us to understand. Yeah? Okay, we have to make the choice. That's great. And also, what it's, it's, it's good in the way that there's just one me. There's not three me's. There's not like a me and then two dogs. There's just one me. And the, the clothes are what I'm putting on in terms of how I'm behaving. So that's good. Yeah. Any other suggestions? Ideas about what we think of it? Yeah? <clears throat> okay. They, they see Jesus because they see the clothes. That's good. Thank you. Okay, let's get do another one. Um, be connected to the main trunk of the vine. So this is the one that we had earlier. This is Jesus, so don't criticize it. it is, what's good about, what helps us, to, what does this help us to understand? Um, uh, what parts of the metaphor help us to understand? So Jesus said, you know, you're the branches, I'm the trunk. You were going to say something? Right. So this is a question. Uh, is it continually putting on Adams, uh, off Adams and putting on Jesus? I think it's continually. I think um, because he, he uses other continual things like continue to be filled with the Spirit. And the whole emphasis in the passage is this is an ongoing choice that you make, that you're living that way. Yes. Grapevines are very common in that country. Yeah, everywhere. Yes. They have to be pruned. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
Right. So, as Bill says, this is very clear from the observation life. And so, the statement, our choices change us, the choice to be connected to the vine, the trunk or not, obviously everybody could, everybody would know if, if a branch isn't connected, it's just going to die. So, that's, that's quite clear. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you're right. So um, the extra thing, as Marcus pointed out, this in C is where the power comes from to do this. And we don't even have the strength to do the first two unless we're doing the third one. Is that representing what you're saying? Um, okay, the next example I've got is learning to touch type. So, uh, so uh, I don't know if, how, who here can touch type? Put your hands up if you can touch type. Maybe maybe ten percent. Okay. So when you're when you're learning to touch type, um, when when I um, back in my twenties, I, I worked for IBM for a while, and when I started the job, they didn't have anything for me to do, and they had all these courses I could take, and I thought mm, I'd like to learn to touch type. So I went on a touch typing course, and it was one of the most useful things I've done in my life because it's just so better to be able to type fast. Now, what happens when you're learning to touch type? You must never look at the keyboard. You have to start with, you have a picture of the keyboard on front, up in front of you, either on the screen or just in, on in paper. And when you, and you have to learn to feel the keys, you feel these little bumps on the home keys. And you, you can type the keys just by looking at the picture. So if you can't remember, you just look at the picture and then you feel where the key is. And, uh, what happens is as you do that, um, as you make a choice not to look at your fingers, the habit grows, and you learn to, you, in the end, you don't have to look at the, the piece of paper. You just know, and something comes faster until it just becomes automatic, and you don't have to think about it. But if you don't make that choice, and you choose to look at the keyboard, you're, you're going to lose it. It's never going to happen. And so the choice you make to, to be disciplined and not to look at the keyboard is going to rewire your, your eyes and your brain and your fingers into being able to touch type. So what would that be? What would that illustration show us? Right. You have to believe it. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right, so it's a learning process. I would say it illustrates both things because your choice does change you. Your choice to, to, to not look at the keyboard changes you. But also, I would say that this choice comes out of what you believe because you believe that it's worth learning to touch type and it's worth being slower to start with and not looking at the keyboard for the long-term gain because you believe that you're willing to go through that process. Okay, next one. Oops. Learning Mandarin. Okay, so uh, what, what do I mean by that? Um, uh, so who in here has got a second language doesn't just know one language raise your hand okay good number of people probably over half of the people here um, so uh, why would you learn a second language well you learn a second language because you want to communicate with people who don't have a language that you're in and uh, so um, I think so supposing you decided you were going to move to China 
because for some reason or other, maybe you wanted to do it for an experience or you wanted to start a business there or whatever, you're going you're going to do that. And then you would make a choice which would change you, but you're also making a choice because you believe something is true. And that decision to learn a language is something which is going to change you, but is coming out of your beliefs. So I'm going to argue that that reflects both T-shirts. I'm going to end with number with F, awaking from sleep and getting up. So I don't know if you ever faced with a choice in the morning, do I get up now or do I spend a few minutes in bed? But this is a choice you know, we, we face all the time. And uh, what, what happens there? Um, well, actually, in Ephesians 5, Paul uses this as a metaphor for the Christian life. He tells them to wake out of sleep and to get up because actually sleep is living like the old way, and waking up, getting up, is living out of the new power that you have, the new energy that you have, and say, I'm going to make a choice to get up now and to start living as I can as a, as a, as a person. So actually, let me give you that verse. He says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. So Paul is really, it's really zoning in on what I'm talking about here. Be careful how you walk. Be careful how you live. Um, make the best use of the time. And it's like ri- uh, waking up from sleep or rising from the dead and making this choice to live out of life and not out of sleep or out of death. So uh, I want to conclude by saying, what does this look like this coming week? How do I actually wear the T-shirts this week? How does this look in practice to wear these T-shirts? So I want to say to you, think of every choice you make as a choice towards your destiny, as a choice towards where you're going to be. Um, I I know somebody who works for for the TTC as a streetcar driver. And in his training, they said to him, you know, the streetcars is a place where there's a junction. And, you know, if if the... points are the wrong way, the streetcar can go the wrong way along the wrong tracks. They said to him, think of every junction as a career choice. Because if you choose the wrong way and you're a streetcar driver, you're, you're grounded for three days to have an inquiry as to why you've gone the wrong way. It's very, very serious if a streetcar goes the wrong way. And so they said to him, "This no, think very carefully every time you look, look at what the signs are as to which way it's pointing and think of every every." Uh, intersection where there's points as a career choice. So I want to suggest for you that you think of every choice as as something that has a destiny. You may have heard of a man called John Bunyan. John Bunyan lived in England um, several centuries ago, and he was a very poor man. He was a, a tinker, which meant he repaired pots and pans by soldering the, the metal with tin. And uh, he, he um, uh, at that time, he wasn't a member of the Anglican Church, which was the official church, he was a Baptist, and the Baptists were banned. At least, they were banned from preaching. And he uh, chose, when they were told not to preach, he chose he was going to preach. And he preached the gospel. And that choice landed him in prison. That single choice to preach landed him in prison. While he was in prison, he had a dream from God, which was the dream was the book, The Pilgrim's Progress. He wrote it while in prison. He wrote this out, and it's become in the top ten books read of all time, um, this book, that he 
got because God gave him the dream, because he was in prison, because he made a choice, a little choice. Oh, I'm going to preach even though they told me not to. So that choice he made led to a massive thing that worked out in his destiny. And you may be making choices which just seem like little choices, but they can lead to huge things in your destiny. So that's one. The second thing, uh, to do number two, you have to be receiving the truth. You have to be receiving what is true. And what I want to tell you, to suggest to you, is simply read the scriptures and let Jesus' words become part of you. So read some of Jesus' words. Read what he said. Read his teachings and allow that just to soak into you, become part of you, and uh, that will change you. The teaching of Jesus will change you. It said of John Bunyan that he so knew the scriptures that if you pricked him, then it wouldn't be blood that came out. It would be bibline that came out because he was so soaked in the scriptures. He so just knew them. And if you know it, it will change you. And that's been my experience. It's, it's the words of Jesus and the words of the scriptures that has caused, this has led me to make these choices and be changed. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now. And while they're coming up, We're just going to close in prayer. And I'm going to pray for you that you are enabled during this coming week to wear these two t-shirts. Father, I thank you that you empower us to live this life, that you, we can plug into you, that you are the vine. We can, we can connect to Jesus and receive his strength. And Lord, we pray that during this coming week, we'll be aware of the power of our choices and our ability to choose to live in you. Lord, give us the strength to make these choices that are going to change us. And Lord, we pray that you will give us the truth, Lord. Fill us with the truth, that it will the truth of what we have, of who we are and who you are, will empower us to change and motivate us to change. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.